Heavenly Father, when we remember the chasm that existed between you and us because of our sin, and when we remember the obedient sacrifice of Jesus, we can't help but praise you. Other than your overwhelming love overflowing into our lives, we have nothing. Everything we have and everything we return to you, it comes from you. Every breath, every bit of energy, every material good is yours. Use them all as you see fit. You know far better than we do how to use all things for your glory. So Lord, forgive us when we don't believe that our salvation is fully in your hands. Forgive us when we try to add works or worldly righteousness or other gospels to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. Forgive us when we try to align ourselves with worldly plans and thinking instead of aligning ourselves with you and you alone, instead of trying to align ourselves with the unity that we have with each other through your Holy Spirit. So Lord, purge these distorted gospels from among us. Set our sights firmly on your Son, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, all of it according to your will and all for your glory and praise. And so we ask, Father, and we continue to ask that you would remove and relieve the suffering that we see is caused by COVID-19. Bring relief and healing, even now in this moment, to those who are sick with it. Bring temperatures down and oxygen levels up. Restore energy to healthcare workers who are worn out. Lift the emotional and mental weight that is on all of us due to this. Lord, we feel hemmed in on all sides. Lift our eyes up. Our help comes from you and you alone. And so we pray now together for our church, this local expression of the universal church. We pray for conviction and unity. We pray together that as we hear from your word together, that our eyes and ears would be open to our own prejudices. Help us to see where we have set up standards of righteousness that you have not set up. Keep us from assuming intents. Let our hearts take the position of learners intent on pleasing you, focusing our aim on love coming from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Open our eyes and our ears to your nearness. May your spirit season our brother's, brother Hans's words with grace and truth now for the building up of this church into your son, in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. If you're visiting for the first time, normally we go through the Word of God, uh, picking a book and going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through it. Today we're going to do a little bit of a topical teaching. It's a little bit off of our normal, normal pace, and we'll get back to 1 Timothy next week. But let me start by asking you, how many of you would agree with me when I say that the last 18 months have been difficult, but the last few weeks have been especially defeating? Amen. You guys feel that way? I think I can speak for Tyler and Ryan as well when I say, in fact, I know I can because I already read this to them and they said it's good to go, so I think I can speak for Tyler and Ryan as well when I say that the topic of COVID has consumed the three of our personal, professional, and spiritual lives, and we 
praise God, have been healthy, so I can't even imagine the toll on those fighting COVID itself, either as those that are sick or as healthcare workers. Uh, you have my utmost respect if you are a healthcare worker. COVID is like a cancer. And I think it would also be right to say that we have been humbled as your elders and pastors and heartbroken, but also found great hope in the gospel in the midst of it. We've been humbled because we have realized how weighty our task is, how important our example is, and how difficult it is to lead and serve you well as your elders. And that's not because of you, it's because of the role and because of the warfare that we're in. We've also unfortunately learned how easily and quickly we can make mistakes. And so on behalf of Ryan and Tyler, and again, we talked about this in depth and they agreed to this statement, we want to apologize to all of you, to our church, to those watching online, for any confusion that we individually or together as a team have sown in our communication and actions the last few weeks. For some of you, you were greatly confused and even concerned about our changing of wording from our first communication on the COVID uh, uh, surge a couple weeks ago to our second communication. Uh, to those of you that that describes, we as your elders are deeply sorry. And then on top of that, I bear personal special responsibility for having confused you further when we sent the email out on Saturday and my own modeling of mitigation of transmission on the following Sunday did not line up with that email that was communicated. For that, I am deeply sorry, and I apologize with no defense or self-justification. I and we as a team are learning the importance of our roles and how to do it better every single day. I bring this up and I focus on this topic even though we are all very tired of discussing it and wish it would just go away because a few things have become clear to us as your elders. First and foremost, I think many of us truly thought that with the advent of the COVID vaccine, whether it was because it actually knocked out COVID or because people just had a, a chance to get it, we thought that life would return back to normal. And we are sorrowful with all of you that the hope of that moment has seemed to fade away quickly and be replaced with a sense of defeat. Because of this and the stress that accompanies the unknown, uh, fear of getting sick or dying, and fear of the effects of our, on our, our society, our common courtesy outside of the church, but also within the church, it seems, for one another, uh, and even our resilience, it seemed to grow very thin. And this has led to a place where some have approached us and indicated a fear of division in this body, and even fear of division within the elders. Our switch in communication two weeks ago has unfortunately given fuel to that fire. But I want to assure all of you sitting here before me today and those of you online that we, as your elders, are not divided at all. I can say that because we, as your elders, have never been divided on this topic because we are united in Christ and in his gospel. And the beautiful thing about the three of us as your elders, we jokingly call ourselves now, after an email from uh, Tyler, uh, the height, the hair, and the biceps. <laughs> Ryan's gonna get me for that one. But the beautiful thing about us as your elders is that we have a diversity of positions on a lot of topics, including various pieces of COVID, the politics and application of the science around it, and many other topics. 
but we are unified and united in the Holy Spirit, the gospel he calls us to proclaim, and in our love for each and every one of you. And I wish that our example in that far exceeded any example we're setting with what we do with COVID. And so it has greatly saddened us that some might think we are now in disagreement or division. We have disagreed on many things over the last 18 months. You can ask uh, Dallas and Patrick as well, who were in many of those meetings for 12 months. But we have never been divided. And I think now that some of you are having to wrestle with your varying views on masks and vaccines, and now that we've, uh, we've given a little bit more freedom here in the church, uh, and you guys are wrestling with COVID overall, it, it kind of seems overwhelming. You wonder if there is truly division. But we as your elders can assure you, because we and others in this church have been operating in unity in the gospel for 18 months with differing positions on COVID, that unity can indeed be had. And this unity in the midst of diverse positions can only serve to enhance the powerful witness of the gospel. Now, our hope was, in keeping communication brief on this topic, we could move forward without much ado. But that, too, was an error, because some of you have approached us to let us know that you need more help from us in determining where to land on the topics, and it is difficult to see elders applying different views on the topic. A few others have, unfortunately, taken the little that we've communicated, along with our different modeling of application, and made assumptions about where we each stand individually or how much we might care about what is going on around us. But none of this is on you or anyone watching. It is on us as your leaders. Leaders must and should communicate clearly. And so, again, I am sorry that we have not done so, and I hope today we'll rectify that. And so yesterday, as we gathered as elders for another ad hoc meeting to pray together, to reason together from Scripture, and decide how to move forward in the most God-glorifying way, it became apparent that I needed to hold off on the teaching in the next section of 1 Timothy, you'll get that next week, and instead address the division in our world that has unfortunately crept into the church. We need to see it for what it is. And so that we can stand fully unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded of the true gospel. And so the title of the sermon today is this, Discernment and Unity in the Time of COVID. Discernment and Unity in the Time of COVID. The first idea that I want to present to you within this, is that the church is unified when it stands firm in the one true gospel. The church is unified when it stands firm in the one true gospel. Many churches might look from the outside unified, but a church that is truly unified at its core is unified because it stands firm in the one true gospel. While many of you want answers on COVID itself from us as your pastors and elders, none of us are epidemiologists or virologists or physicians or politicians. Ryan is a businessman. Tyler is a scientist who teaches as a scientist. I am a guy with a big mouth. 
So unfortunately, you may leave with some questions unanswered today. And that is not, the place, uh, not to place the threat and risk of COVID too low or too high. Please don't take me not speaking about certain things because I dismiss them as important. We, the three of us, as our role in your lives, are your pastors. And our main concern is our unity in the gospel. And I believe that was Paul's main concern as well. Would you open to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. If you look at all of Paul's letters, the majority of them, at their core, in their historical context, they were dealing with some form of division in a given church. And so Paul oftentimes is writing, much like I'm trying to address you today, in order to help people focus and refocus on what will keep them unified. Take a look at Ephesians 2, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Does it minimize the hostility or does it kill it? kills it. Some of you may remember from our time in Ephesians a few years ago that Paul is speaking to the Jews and Gentiles in the Ephesians church, and he is reminding them that the old distinction of Jew and Gentile, of law follower and lawbreaker, was no more. They were not separated by the ceremonial law any longer, but instead, through the reconciliation purchased through the blood of Jesus on the cross, they were now reconciled in oneness to the Father as well as to one another. And it is in Christ as Savior, Lord, and King that people of different nations and tribes and tongues and behaviors and cultures and even secondary positions on topics could be made one. And it is that in that oneness that the gospel is most proclaimed. Hostility was put away and peace was put in place. What is this one true gospel that brought peace. Well, let's take a look again at 1 Corinthians that was read to us earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, and let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're just going to read the first five verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. The gospel truth is that the bad news mankind faces now, every day and now, every day past and everyday future until Christ's return, is that we have been given over to sin and the kingdom of darkness. We have determined that we know more than God, 
and that our version of good and evil is superior, and in doing so, we have rebelled against our Creator in thought, word, and deed. And because of the evil that our first mother and father allowed to take hold in this world, sickness and death reign, and behind all of it is the adversary of God and his hatred of our Lord. And so, because God is perfectly just, each one of us deserve death and hell. Friends, we deserve that. That's the bad news. And yet, in spite of our complete rebellion towards him, God is so unbelievably gracious so forgiving, so loving and good that he gave Jesus his son to ransom us from sin. He came in the flesh without sin and Jesus lived the perfect life, perfectly modeled the character of the Father and was murdered by being crucified to a cross where he was offered up as a sinless lamb on an altar as a sacrifice. And in that moment, God the Father made him who was without sin to be sin for you and I. All of the sin of the world, including all of the implications and effects of sin, was placed upon Christ and he received the wrath of God on our behalf because God is angry about sin and about the effects of sin. He was the perfect sacrifice that stood in our place as a substitute and in so doing paid the price and atoned for our sin. It's by that sacrifice that God the Father now looks at you and I and sees us as righteous and calls us his own. The reason we know this is that three days later after his crucifixion and death, Jesus rose again from the dead. Amen? Amen. He proclaimed himself in this moment to be the victorious king to say that death itself no longer had power over humanity. He appeared as proof to his disciples and followers, establishing the evidence of his miraculous resurrection. He ascended into heaven to take up his throne as king over the people whom he saved, and he poured out his spirit into the hearts of men and women so that we might repent and turn towards his grace through faith, not of works. So that we might be his to mold more into his image so that we might proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the one and the only one true gospel. There is no other good news. Because there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, this is the one true gospel. Church, do you believe this? Christian, do you believe this? Brothers and sisters, it is in this gospel, in this gospel alone, this gospel alone, that we are unified. It is only in this gospel because this gospel alone has the power to remove any hostility that may be there for one another. How does it do that? Well, in this gospel alone, it is impossible for the person who has received the Spirit of God and been forgiven their sins to view their brother or sister in Christ with hatred. For the person who knows they have been forgiven much 
will love much and extend grace much. So what does that mean, though, when we see division arising in our midst? This is all platitudes, right? Because it often does now as it did in the early church. That's why he had to write all these letters to divided churches. What are those moments? What are these moments where we see division all about, and from where does that division come? If we look at Paul's writings in whole, we will see that the cause of that division was always and is always because a false gospel had crept in unnoticed to the people of God, and they had started to live not out of the implications of the one true gospel, but out of implications of a false gospel. You see, division comes when a false gospel is allowed to supersede the one true gospel. Division comes when a false gospel is allowed to supersede the one true gospel. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians 1, 3 through 10. Galatians 1, 3 through 10. He says, There grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, Paul knows being a servant of Christ is not the way to be liked. Paul states the gospel in shorthand there in verses 3 through 5, and then he gives a stern corrective in verses 6 through 9 that says that the true church should have zero tolerance for any supposed gospel that strays from the original. And then he tells them that they should be so strong in the one true gospel that no other person should be able to sway them. The problem, dear church, is that if you guys are anything like me, you've probably read the Bible and falsely assumed that there are only a handful of false gospels. The ones that are pretty obvious, like the prosperity gospel or the workspace gospel, and people still get taken up by those. But they're more obvious, and so that must be the only ones, right? Well, after, after all, Paul, uh, that's what he was dealing with here. Men known as Judaizers were entering the church in Galatia and telling Christians that unless they did certain behavior and they followed the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, they weren't actually saved. They weren't actually Christians. And folks were believing it. But brothers and sisters, the number of false gospels out there in the world is more than we can number, and it's having new versions added to it all the time. And if we are not constantly vigilant, constantly on guard we will be pulled into them so fast, our heads will spin, 
and we will find ourselves divided from the one true church. And then we wake up wondering why the church is no longer unified. To our earthly senses in that moment, it seems like nothing happened except a bunch of gospel-following people got mad at one another and division happened. But friends, the cause of division and the breaking of unity in the gospel is almost always because a false gospel has entered in some way and people let it supersede the true gospel. And we as your elders and pastors are so jealous for you that you stay founded and immersed in the one true gospel and no other. Our entire job description is to teach you and train you, hold you accountable to, and encourage you in the one true gospel. It is the job of faithful shepherds to point out the false gospels when they arise and point you back to the one true gospel. And it is for this reason that I have a burden to point out to you two false gospels being propagated in our country right now. And they have to do with the two completely polar opposite positions on issues around COVID. Now, please, I beg of you, before you get offended and assume you know where I am going or you turn off the live stream or you think, I personally, you, you, you think that you know where I personally land in regard to issues with COVID, I beg of you, please just hear me out. And if you want to turn me off then or walk out then, that's fine. Remember that the gospel is good news, and that good news is responding to bad news. Gospels all have symbols. They have a fear that they are dealing with. They have a victory to be achieved, a means of being saved, a view of righteousness and sin, a view of authority, a focus, and a unity. I want to break down the two, two of the false gospels we as your elders see calling for your attention and compare them with the one true gospel. Now, as I put these up on the screen, you are welcome to take pictures of the screen at the very end because they will all be up there at once, or you can wait till the slides are online along with the teaching that's online, or you can grab a hard copy at the info table on your way out. But my goal for you now is just to sit and listen and take in what I'm about to say and see if what I say rings true. First, the symbols of each of the Gospels. The first false gospel has as its symbol a masked face. The second, a maskless face. And the third, a cross. Each of us as your elders have heard many of your positions around the pros and cons of wearing or not wearing masks. Whether you know it or not, all of us have done copious hours and hours of research. We've talked to healthcare professionals in this church we are so thankful for the varying views that we have gotten. Friends, many points on both sides have a ton of merit. And we would love it. We would love it. This is one of our prayers, is that we could let masks just be masks. But wearing a mask and not wearing a mask have been made out to be a symbol that divides by the media, by society, by government, and by each of us, and ultimately, by Satan. Then there's the bad news, or the true enemy of each gospel. 
The first gospel's enemy is COVID. Cases, hospitalizations, intubations, and deaths. The second is government. It's overreach and the threat of communism. In the true gospel, sin, and that means the original sin of Adam and Eve and our own personal sin, is what is our greatest enemy to fight because it is the source of the other two, of sickness and death and destruction and abuse of power and totalitarianism. Each gospel also has something attached to it that we think we deserve. The first says we deserve health and life, that it is a right. The second does as well, but in the form of personal freedom. The true gospel says we deserve judgment, death, and hell. Bit of a difference, don't you think? Each gospel has a greatest fear that drives adherence to it. The first has at its core fear of sickness and hospitalization, death, loss of those we love, or unknowingly getting someone else sick. And I would hope that we can all agree that none of those things are innately bad fears. The second gospel is driven by fear of government overreach and loss of personal autonomy, being too apathetic to stand up to government corruption, and letting that even lead to no longer being able to meet as a church or preach the gospel. I would hope that we could all agree that these two are not innately bad fears. But the one true gospel is motivated by fear of the Lord alone. Each gospel desires to achieve a victory. What the victory looks like in the first false gospel is COVID's eradication and life back to normal, which, friends, even the virologists and epidemiologists that I'm reading are saying it's going to become endemic. It's not disappearing one day. The second false gospel wants eradication of government mandates and life back to normal. But the one true gospel says that victory has already been achieved. No matter if we live or die, no matter if we live in a communist state or a free one, because sin has been defeated. And one day, sin will be eradicated and all that follows from it, and so we can stand in courage as we unite together in the gospel, no matter what comes our way. Each has a highest authority. The highest authority in the first false gospel is scientific studies and journals. The highest authority in the second false gospel is the Constitution, as well as other scientific studies and journals. And guys, is there anything innately wrong with the Constitution and scientific journals? No. But the one true gospel, its highest authority is the one true gospel itself and the Word of God. The means of salvation, and this is probably the crux of each, the way that you are saved in each gospel can be seen in some of the phrases thrown out that have some truth in them but twist the partial truth into full assurance that cannot be given, like wear a mask, save a life. Vaccines and masks are the salvation that will bring us victory in this false gospel. And please hear me. Not one of us elders are against masks and vaccines. The second false gospel finds salvation in right application of the Constitution in the courts. And please hear me. None of us elders are against working within the lawful means of protest or litigation 
to hold our government accountable. And should the time come for us to stand in full blatant rebellion against the government if they force us to stop meeting or cease preaching the gospel, we as elders are agreed that we will do so. I have now said that publicly. The one true gospel finds salvation, though, in nothing else but the atoning work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. The one true gospel finds salvation in nothing else but the atoning work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's the only way to be saved. And so Christ's place then in the first false gospel is as a secondary help should masks and vaccines fail so that you go to get to go to heaven if you die. His place in the second is as defender of the Constitution and Judeo-Christian principles. But friends, his place in the one true gospel is as the means of salvation and our only hope. Righteousness in both gospels and sin is shown. Righteousness in the first is judged to be found in the actions of wearing a mask and getting a vaccine, and sin is to be found in not wearing a mask and not getting a vaccine. In the second false gospel, these are reversed, but the exact same items. Interesting. In the one true gospel, righteousness is Christ's imputed righteousness by grace. And you then act out that righteousness as you obey his commands. And sin is found in rebellion and disobedience to Christ and his commands. I'm sad that we are trying to twist Christ's commands in order to give either of the first two false gospels room. The lawgiver in the first false gospel is the government. In the second, it's the Constitution. But in the true gospel, it is God himself because he's the one who gives authority to the Constitution and the government. The judge in both is a mob of concerned citizens just holding different positions. But in the one true gospel, it is Christ and him alone who you are accountable to. The focus of the first gospel is freedom from COVID. The focus of the second is personal freedom. The one true gospel is focused upon Christ and the glory of God above ourselves and our comfort, our health, and our freedoms. And it is truly because of that that we gain freedom from our worst enemy, sin. And lastly, unity. Unity in the first is found only in agreement with this gospel and proper application of the science. Unity in the second is found only in agreement with that gospel and proper application of the Constitution and science. But unity in the one true gospel is a gift of the Holy Spirit as we focus on Christ, and it's found in love for God and love for one another. Now, friends, before you judge and assign certain beliefs to myself or either of the other two elders based on what I've presented, please know this. We are all deeply, deeply saddened. By the injury, the hospitalization, the death and trauma that COVID has caused. We care 
more than you even know. That is why we constantly pray for it to cease. It is a satanic evil. Please also know that we are also each deeply saddened and concerned about some of the application and implementation of mitigation efforts and mandates placed on our community by our government. And we can see the harm and long-term damage that these efforts are causing that often are seemingly unknowledged, unacknowledged. Also, please know that we believe there's nothing innately wrong with not wanting to get sick or die, or studying scientific journals or wearing a mask. These are not sins. Likewise, there is nothing innately wrong with wanting to keep our leaders accountable to the founding documents and to the people of the republic, wanting to make sure that we keep our freedoms in place. These are not sins. Don't worry, I'm not sick. I just am snotty. <laughs> but friends, division comes when, instead of simply realizing you prize and prioritize vigilance against one threat more than another, you instead begin to judge the other who believes differently as if they are inherently evil. But these things are not what we, as your elders and pastors, are tasked with teaching and equipping you with. We are tasked to preach, teach, example, and lead you in the one true gospel. And while we need to be concerned absolutely about the transmission of sickness in our church and the safety of our church, and while we need to be concerned about the ability to have the freedom to preach the gospel freely, absolutely, guys, these are not our primary concerns in our role as your elders and pastors. Our primary concern is that you, our flock, stay firmly founded in the one true gospel of Jesus Christ, and that in your diversity of opinion and position, and yet your unity in the gospel, that you shine brightly as a model and example of how powerful the Holy Spirit is. And then, what you do outside this church as ambassadors of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, it's largely up to you. We can't tell you what to do. So then what do we do now? Now that we have discerned the false gospels being presented, what do we do practically when it comes to practical actions with regard to COVID and all the politics of the day? I think many of you have grown up in the faith in a way where you've been told that you should always do what your pastor does because your pastor is um omniscient. We are not omniscient. We struggle through the same critical thinking all of you do. What we want to raise in this church is people who are critical thinkers, adults, who can think on their own, do their research, and make their decisions always under submission to God's word as the highest authority. So let me lay out the pieces of application we as your elders are called to give you. These are what we're called to give you. What you do with the application of mitigation efforts, that's up to you. Here we will see how we commit to living out the unity, that should say unity, of the gospel in the midst of COVID. 
unity of the gospel. Summoning the IT department to help fix that. There we go. First, really examine yourself in the framework of these two false gospels and the one true gospel. Friends, be honest with yourself. Where are you putting your hope right now? Where do your fears lie? When I was presenting the Gospels, which Gospel did you find yourself most emotionally driven to defend? Be honest with yourself. My goal in presenting this to you is not to offend you, nor to change your position on masks or vaccines or politics. It is to warn you not to put your hope in the wrong gospel and to call you to the one true gospel. And then if you notice that you have slid into one of the false gospels, even partially, please go to God in repentant prayer even today and ask the Lord to found you instead and motivate your actions through the one true gospel. Second, I want to charge you. This is an assignment for you. I want you to read, study, and pray through some scriptures as you determine how you're going to act in this current time. From the beginning of the issues with COVID, we as elders have done our level best to hold firm to four desires, and those have not changed, contrary to some opinions. Those have not changed. First, and most importantly, is a desire to obey our king above all else and his command to worship as an assembly as a public proclamation that we fear the Lord and trust in him no matter what comes. And we get this from Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, among others. Please read it and meditate on it. Second, a desire that we each would live out the implications of the gospel and walk in the example of Christ that we would be concerned for others more highly than we would be concerned for ourselves. We get this from Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Please read it and meditate on it. Third, a desire to be obedient to God and submitting to our governing authorities. We get this from Romans 13, 1 through 7. Please read it and meditate on it. And fourth, a desire to make sure we are operating in selflessness wherever we can for the sake of our brother or sister, but above all, to not pass judgment on one another over and above where God has given us the clarity to judge. We get this from Romans 14. Please read it and meditate on it. And I will go so far as to say this. If you are serious about the unity of the gospel, you will read and study these this week. If you don't, then you're not. Then I would also encourage you, only after you've done those readings, to go research the situation practically. Please talk to your doctor. Read peer-reviewed research papers on randomized control trials around masks and immunizations. 
Study the case counts and hospital census. Study the mortality rate. Study the Constitution and the various ORS that apply to the mandates and the lawsuits from around the country. And can I encourage you to stay away from giving news articles or social media posts the same level attention as you do these other resources. Amen. Then also talk to any of the healthcare workers in this church, as we have as elders, because they too, like us as elders, it seems, have differing positions and yet are united in their fight to serve their patients. And friends, you will probably find at the end of all of that hard work, as I have, after dozens and dozens and dozens of hours on the part of every elder, that while you may, may gain personal clarity in a certain direction, you will see that it is all still very murky, and there is still a lot to be understood, and we are not omniscient. We do not have all the answers. Only God does. From there, after that, we want to encourage you to live in a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith, all motivated by the love of Christ and the love of others, with regards to how you personally should handle masks and vaccines and attending or not attending church or small groups. But please, make sure that the motivation behind what you do is out of love of Christ, faithfulness to him, and love of one another. If it comes from any other motivation, please, Christian, pray. Think deeply. Ask the Lord for wisdom. And when you look at us as elders to model after us, know, please know that we are going to do our best to model love and wisdom to you each, but we may apply it slightly differently. We may each have a different starting point, and we are okay with that, and we're okay with one another in that. If your conscience says to do something different than me or different from Tyler or different from Ryan, and it is from love and faith that you decide to do so, please, I beg of you, do it. Do something different than us. We will not be policing you either way. We are not policing because that would mean that we should also be disciplining a given action through church discipline. And we do not feel we can do so in good conscience after dozens of hours of wrestling with Scripture. After hours of wrestling through Scripture and hearing the stance of faith many of you have presented from opposing applications, we cannot say that there is a clear moral or immoral stance other than motivations outside of faith, which you alone can judge in yourself. The fourth piece of application, not only do we want you to examine yourself according to the framework we gave you, we want you to read and study and research, 
We want you to act within love and faith. But fourth, I want to call each of you to recognize that different situations require different actions and to be discerning in when and how you use them. But always be driven by love, faith, and wisdom. How you choose to act here to proclaim your faith might be different than how you choose to act when greeted by some poor 16-year-old kid at a restaurant just trying to do their job who asks you to don a mask. Be driven by love and faith and wisdom. Fifth, I want to ask you a very serious question, and this is for everyone here and everyone online. Is there room in your heart for someone that holds the gospel in unity with you but lands in a different position when it comes to the matters surrounding COVID? Is there room in your heart? Say it, Tyler. Yes. Yes. If not, if there's not room, or in your head you're thinking somebody who has a different opinion than me on COVID is not actually a Christian, I want to ask you why you think that. Perhaps it is because you have made a person's actions around COVID the deciding factor of their obedience to Christ. And I would deeply challenge you to find clear warrant for that in Scripture. Perhaps it has affected which pastor or elder you would approach because you think some of us are actually more Christian than others. <laughs> Friends, don't let the person or pastor who seems to think a bit like you do be the only person you go to talk to. All three of us want to pastor all of you because all three of us love all of you no matter where you've landed in COVID and we are willing to lay our lives down for all of you, especially those of you who are angry with us right now. Sixth, I want to ask you, as hard as it is, to understand and acknowledge that no one in this church is acting out of ill intent. There are some of you that, out of love, are so concerned at the possibility of your brothers or sisters getting sick that you are willing to do whatever you can to play your part in keeping them healthy. And we know this is from love and faith. And there are some of you that, out of love, are so concerned for your brothers and sisters that they will wake up in a world where freedoms that allow us to proclaim the gospel have been taken away and that you are willing to possibly get sick and die to protest that point. We know that this is from love and faith. And friends, you may not agree with the other side, but please do your utmost to understand. Please also be careful to ascribe intent without first asking and then conversing until you understand. There is a lot of talking being done and very little listening. Understand one another's perspective. If you do ascribe intent without first understanding their intent, you might be bearing false witness against your neighbor, and that is clearly outside of love and faith. Seventh, because this is such a hard issue, and we can see and hear the pain in so many of you from differing positions, we beg of you as your pastors and elders to empathize with one another's position. Each of you have had a diverse experience with covid and its effects. No one story 
takes precedence over another. Do not buy in to the false narrative in this world right now that personal experience is empirical truth. There is only one truth, and that is God's truth. No one story takes precedence over another. At the same time, weep with those who weep while still standing firm in your position. Along with this, out of love, if you find yourself sick, please stay home and quarantine. To be knowingly sick and yet thrusted on other people is unloving. But also communicate with those you have been in contact with to let them know. And then let us know so that we can pray for you. But friends, we are not doing contact tracing. We will trust you as adults to communicate with one another. This morning, we want to reaffirm for you our unity as your elders in the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to call you to the same unity. We hold from faith that our highest calling as your pastors and elders is to remain united in Christ as we proclaim his gospel. And we do this, and we act as we each do, even if it's slightly different, because we love you each. And more importantly, because we love and want to please our King. And after reading this over with the elders and even with most of our deacons and staff last night, I can stand fully assured here today that even though some of you might be frustrated or mad about what I've said, I believe in faith I can stand before the Lord, all three of us can, holding our positions we do, knowing in good conscience that we are obeying our King by presenting what I've presented to you here today. So let's confirm that unity that doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from forcing opinions on one another. It comes from the gospel. Let's do that by taking part in communion.